welcome to today's episode of public anthropologist podcast series here we unravel what anthropology can tell us about the current events happening in the world i'm your co-host somya pande a doctoral researcher at christian mikkelsen institute in norway on today's episode i'm very happy to have with me professor angela garcia who is a professor of anthropology at stanford university Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, uh, your research ethnography tells a very intimate story about love, care, bond and kinship among heroin addicts in northern New Mexico. There are several contradictory elements of life that you uh, share in great depth. So, for example, I was struck by how drug addiction was an emotional obligation towards family and any release from it was only possible through it. and in another instance hope for life was encountered in near death experiences in the context of your field work at what point did it become important to interview stories about care and love with addiction and abuse mm-hmm. thank you for that question um it became apparent to me early on in my field work that one of the key sort of undercurrents to addiction was love. So what I what I encountered in the field, you know, this is a region in which family bonds are so central to everyday life, to both economic and cultural and linguistic um relationships and when heroin entered into the realm of the family, it was absorbed into the sorts of intimate bonds that already existed within families and rather than being something that tore families apart i saw heroin and an addiction the experience of addiction as in fact sort of solidifying certain kinds of dependencies and and uh that were not just dependencies in terms of the physical dependencies that addiction necessitates or incurs but actually the kinds of emotional uh dependencies that existed between parents and their children specifically mothers and daughters and rather than imagining those dependencies as inherently negative or something that should be unraveled which is the kind of the typical uh discourse when when in in addiction medicine i saw them as something that implied and was built on a kind of a deeper um a deeper sense of of a longing and connectedness that had long in this uh existed well before drugs became endemic in the region and so in in a way what i was was encountering was was how drugs and addiction became conduits of this sort of deep relationality and a deep sense of care and ethics and um you know sense of responsibility that existed uh within families and that was uh that existed within families particularly from an intergenerational perspective so it so caring for each other caring for addicted kin using drugs with each other became a gesture of 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 love of care um a way of expressing a kind of an ethical commitment to the other 
And that is a very different perspective, I think, than, than the sort of standard idea that drugs actually break these ethical bonds, break the bonds between parents and children. I saw, in fact, that it, they, were, they, they strengthened them. Now, whether they strengthened them in a way that was healthy, you know, it is something that I then would go on to query, but I, but I felt very strongly and I, and I had a very clear sense that the bonds that were enabled through addiction were um, bonds of, of um, you know, emotional uh, and, and physiological and, and historical and ethical connectedness. And I sought to understand those more deeply through my field work. Yeah, thank you for that, Professor Gasha. In fact, uh, your research radically upturned my understanding of uh, emotional well-being and drug use. And uh, in your research, um, institutions come to play a major role in creating a biomedical discourse about alcohol and drug addiction. Uh, so could you share a little about the clinical language of addiction? In the process, if you could also explain why was it preferred over seeing substance abuse as embedded in history of dispossession, inequality, and violence in Espionela Valley. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Uh, well, the clinical language that surrounds substance abuse or what is now referred to as a substance abuse disorder back in the day, one would just simply call it addiction, but the language is continually changing. The, the um, standard way in which it is imagined and described in the setting of medicine is that addiction is a chronic relapsing brain disorder. And um, the language of chronicity is, was something, and the, the very concept of chronicity was something that I, I sort of latched onto in the field because one of the, one of the tropes that people used when talking about their experiences of loss, of land loss, of loss of language, of loss of economic security, but perhaps most importantly, the loss of loved ones to addiction um, was the, a language of, of the chronic, of this sort of endlessness of, of what was often described in Spanish as something that is sin termina, without end. And so I began looking at the overlay in, in the intersection of the language of biomedicine and the notion of addiction as being chronic and relapsing with the experience, the, the very deeply entrenched experience of, of, of long-term loss and how those, how those intersected in a way that um, exacerbated a lot of the the uh, experiences and perceptions of a kind of endless uh, form of, of dispossession. Um, certainly, you know, the, when I speak of dispossession here, I'm, I'm speaking not only of the dispossession of oneself through the experience of being high and, and uh, through the experiences of that, that addiction enables, but also the dispossession of land and culture and um, there, what I discovered was that, that there was a, a deep connection between those two experiences of dispossession, that the long history, what one might call the chronic history of loss of land and livelihood was, was deeply um, 
embedded in the drug narratives of people when they would talk to me about their experiences of drug use and of, of loss, losses incurred through drug use. Um, they often talked about their family homes. They talked about the land that their families had that they lost over generations. And those narratives were um, in, in many ways seamless with the narratives of you know, discussing drug use more explicitly. Um, and so those two forms of dispossession, the dispossession of oneself, what I, what I characterize as the desire for a kind of escape from, from reality, which is something that, that, an escape from memory, which is something that drugs enable, um, with the deeply entrenched embodied memory of land loss, I was interested in how those two things um, were embedded and entwined. Uh, in in the lives of, of the people that I worked with, of my interlocutors, but also in the way in which they talked about not only drugs, but about their family life and about their history and about their communities. And, um, and there was no way for me to tease out the idea of a chronic disorder of, of uh, you know, addiction from the chronic disorder of continual dispossession of land. And to me, they were they were deeply entwined. And, um, and so a lot of the, the, the stories that are in my book really demonstrate, I think, the, um, the embeddedness of these two forms of, of loss, of the phenomenon of land loss and the phenomenon of loss, that losses that are, that are, that are incurred through um, the use of heroin. Thank you. I think that gives us a geographical context of the region that you were focusing on. Um, you mentioned chronicity, and you have spoken about experiences of drug overdose and chronicity in your work, which also made me think about the methodology. You have shown how these lives were in an endless loop, which in fact was much like the geographic and economic landscape that they were inhabiting. Field ethnography and bearing evidence too in many ways has a vocation for spilling over expectations or what the researcher initially set out to study. I really wanted to learn from you if this understanding of overdose or excess then shape your methodological approach in the field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so well put. Um, I, you know, I went into the field thinking that I was going to study addiction and, you know, strictly speaking, I was going to study the experience of overdose. And I, I should say that was not initially my project when I went to grad school. I had intended to work on something very different. But when I was in graduate school, um, I would get phone calls from my family and friends back home in New Mexico because I'm from the region in which I worked. And I would hear stories about, about relatives and friends, uh, people I went to school with who had overdosed. And so I'm you know, in graduate school preparing to do a, an entirely different project. And yet I'm called back continuously to New Mexico through these um, sort of interruptions, uh, it, it, you know, these interruptions, which were, you know, these phone calls. And I realized that, that I needed to change course and I needed to go home and I needed to try to understand what was happening. And 
when I returned to New Mexico, which was a place that I was very eager to leave when I was a child, but when I when I returned as an adult, as a graduate student working on my PhD project, I initially went in simply trying to understand the phenomenon of heroin overdose in the region, region, which is one of the worst in the United States, but it's often overlooked in conversations about drug addiction in the US. And so I went to try to understand this and I began working in a heroin detox clinic or drug, drug detox clinic. And my, my vision was quite focused, but as I began to really listen to people, people and I spent time back in what was really my own land, um, I became sort of overcome with this memory and knowledge of the histories of loss, the histories of colonialism, the histories of land dispossession um, that that saturate the landscape. And I and I I realized that I really had to open my lens uh, to to incorporate the broader geopolitical landscape um, to incorporate the, the very terrain upon which the uh, overdose, the heroin uh, overdose sort of crisis was, was taking place upon. And when I started to really look at the land, to, to look at its, its, like what I really saw is its scars, um, at its, um, you know, both scars in the sense of these, the recognition of particular sites of loss um, land grants that had been taken away or, or just areas on the landscape where there were um, mem uh, memorials to people who had, who had died of overdose, I began to connect these, um, these sites, these, these signs, um, this terrain, this broader terrain with, with the terrain of, of heroin use and overdose itself. And so really, you know, what you've described as this excess, um, you know, from, from the moment when I began receiving the phone calls while in graduate school to the moment that I returned to New Mexico and, and began driving around and began spending time with people and with their memories, um, they were just sort of, oh, it, there was this overflow of, of affect in a way. And, and, I, and I realized that I, in some way, needed to engage with that. And the way that I engaged with that was not only in the field, the kind, you know, my method of, of field work, which was to main, remain very, very close with my interlocutors, to spend time with them, to participate in their care, um, to, you know, um, listen to their stories, to travel with them between the clinic uh, where they received care and sometimes to the prison where um, they had family members that were, were incarcerated. I was constantly driving people around and whilst driving them on this landscape of loss, I was listening to their stories. And those sort of, that sort of overwhelming experience, it took me a considerable amount of time to sort of digest it. And the way that I, I digested it and, and began to understand it was actually through the process of writing, writing about it. And so writing itself became really instrumental in terms of a methodological tool for me. Um, I spent, I would say, you know, my nights uh, were spent working in a detox clinic. I worked the graveyard shift 
Uh, my days were spent trying to make sense of what I had encountered in the night. And so my days were in a sense turned upside down. I worked at night and I wrote during the day and I slept very little. So there was this sense of excess, the sense of overflow throughout my entire experience in the field and throughout my experience of writing the book. Um, and I, I basically decided early on, you know, I am going to let this project in a way take over my life for a period of years. And indeed it did. I mean, it became a sense of my life and, um, you know, and, it, and it's, it's a little bit difficult to talk about because, you know, when I reflect upon it, I realize now that it was my life long before I returned to New Mexico to do the actual research. I mean, this was the place where, where I grew up. These drug narratives were not unfamiliar to me before I returned to New Mexico. I was, I had a deep kind of knowledge of addiction before I went home. And, but, but my anthropological lens, the tools that I brought back with me to the field, which was also to, to, to returning home with, enabled me to see in a way that I couldn't see as a child, or I couldn't see um, really without the, the toolkit that I brought with me into the field. And, and, and part of that toolkit was simply the patience to sit with stories uh, that were overwhelming and to sit with them and to spend time with them and to ruminate over them and, um, and to write them over and over and over again. And there was an excess to that experience that I think uh, can be sort of surmised or felt by the reader as they read the book. There's, I've been described, uh, some people have described to me a feeling of be being overwhelmed when they've read my book, uh, that they're sort of overwhelmed by the, by the sadness and the sense of despair that exists. Um, and I think that that is a true reflection, not only of how I was perceiving the experience, but the way in which um, the experience of, of land loss and loss related to overdose uh, exists in this particular region. And I wanted very much my work to reflect that. And that required the willingness to be overcome myself. It's a remarkable experience to do research at home, in, in one's home. Um, and I think that kind of work is often poorly understood. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing a new book now where I'm, I'm much more explicit about what it is to work at home and um, with memory. And I, I was a little bit more cautious in the pastoral clinic when, when engaging with some of these concerns, in part because it was my first work, it was emerging out of my dissertation. But I feel a sort of sense of freedom right now to engage with some of these, these ideas and um, commitments more, more fully, with more um, transparency and, um, and, a, and a willingness to take the risk of, of really talking about them. And so, but, but the pastoral clinic was my way of sort of dipping my, my feet into this, this um, project of, of really the willingness, I think, to to be overcome by something which 
Um, we both want to know and understand and, and yet accept that there will be always be something in excess of our understanding, um, in part for me because I, I was not using drugs. So there was fundamentally some kind of experience that I could not enter into. And yet I felt that that um, the knowledge that there was something fundamentally that I could never understand was also sort of um, indicative of something about the human experience and relationality that I also wanted to work with. So um, I think my hope is that the book sort of gestures to all of these issues in a way that um, first and foremost puts the narratives of the my interlocutors, um, brings those to the fore, makes them central to the project.